Good morning. Echo those words that Paul just read out of 1 Corinthians 6. You can go to your handout. Uh, we will be in Colossians, the third uh, chapter of Colossians. But he ends that, uh, again, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God with your body. Glorify God with your body. Go uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul spends a little bit of time in his writing. There's a repetitive nature. He's, he's making a point. In chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and the kind of sexual immorality that is not even tolerated among the Gentiles. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Shouldn't you be filled with grief? And remove from your congregation the one who did this. Now drop down uh, to uh, later on in the chapter to verse 9. He said, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I did not mean, now church need to hear this. Because as we move forward into Colossians and the emphasis of these verses here, uh, there's something you know, you and I have been told we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. We have a role. God has a purpose for us. We'll talk about that shortly. But again, writing to the Christians in Corinth, he said, I did not mean this church. If there's a verse that you should learn today that really should help you understand who you are who God has called you to be, the fact that you have been bought at a price, how then we're supposed to live our life, how that manifests itself in our attitudes towards all people. He said, uh, listen, uh, but actually, what did he say? No, here we go. I did not mean the immoral people of this world. Read that again. I did not mean the immoral people of this world. He said, I don't want you to associate with immoral people. Paul said, I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy uh, and swindlers or idolaters. Otherwise, you'd have to leave the world. But actually, I wrote you, you not to associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister who claims and is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or verbally abusive, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. This is someone who, what, as it says, who says that they, they claim to be a brother or sister. For what business is it of mine to judge outsiders? Don't you judge those who are inside. God judges outsiders. And then remove the evil, evil person from among you. Now go to Colossians chapter 3, a short reading. And we will get into our lesson this morning. Colossians chapter 3 as we continue our study in Colossians uh, beginning of verse 1. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Not on earthly things. For you died. Remember, you've been bought with a price. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore, now here's the personal responsibility. 
Paul instructs every single church he writes to the New Testament, in the New Testament to the New Testament church. Every single letter that he writes, he deals with personal responsibility. He, he always, in each one of those letters, there's what's called a vice list. We just read the one in 1 Corinthians. If you read all of his letters, there's a vice list. And that vice list is written to the church about behavior. Behavior that Christians shouldn't engage in. And he's very clear. He didn't leave anything to the imagination. He's very clear. And then he always, in each of his letters, as he does the vice list, he talks about personal responsibility. These are the things you don't do. These are the people you can't associate with. And here's your personal responsibility. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you, were, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now put away all the following. Put away. Put aside. You and I have a personal responsibility. Put aside. Put away. But now, here it is. But now put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Personal responsibility. If you and I are going to be the people that Christ has called us to be, bought with a price, the blood of Jesus, then we, we have a personal responsibility that is tied perfectly with our purpose. With our purpose. Um, in Matthew 16, Jesus asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And uh, he'd asked the question to all of his apostles, who do people say that I am? And, and they gave, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. You've come back from the dead. Well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're, you're the Son of God. You're the holy, living Son of God. And, and Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon of Barjona, because... Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And from now on, you're going to be called Peter, which means the rock. And upon this rock, I'm going to build a church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Church, it's a Greek word, ekklesia, and it just means he was going to build a group of people that were, would be called out and separated and congregate for a purpose. So if you say that you're a member of the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, a son, uh, a daughter of God, a brother or sister in Christ, in a New Testament setting, you're part of the ecclesia, the called out, the separated people of God that he's called and he's separated for a purpose. And the purpose is what? Well, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus preaching to his people, people that had gathered to Hear him, learn from him, follow him. He mentions that you and I are supposed to be a light, a sweet aroma. We're supposed to be a light and a sweet aroma. In Ephesians, in chapter 3, and verse 10, he said about the church, the manifold wisdom of God is now made known through the church. So in a nutshell, he just very, he called out a group of people. He established those people. 
There, we are an eternal people. We live for eternity. We're blessed people. We're sanctified. We're justified. It's who we are. And we're eternal. And we're blessed. And we have a purpose. And we're to be light and sweet aroma. And then the manifold wisdom of God is now supposed to be known through the church. So in other words, here it is. When people, wherever you work, your workplace, your family, um, people are supposed to be able to look at you and I and very clearly identify there's something different about those people. Uh, the ladies' Bible class on Tuesday, Janine, said, it's interesting, when you meet a Christian, it's so many times you can just tell without even saying, Man, that person's a Christian. That's how it's supposed to be. We should be able to, without even saying the word, I'm a Christian, I'm a brother and sister of God, you can see it. And I know and I believe you probably have that same sentiment. We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to look different, sound different, act different. We've been called out. We've been bought with a price. We have a purpose. And then so the reality is, though, if you read Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, even 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, you're going to see that, that the Scripture says to Christians, there's something you've got to do. There's something you've got to put aside. There's something you've got to put to death. It's got, it's got to die. Paul wrote to Galatians. He said, it's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives within me. Now, a wonderful thing happened uh, Tuesday night. We were having our elders meeting. And uh, Jeff Potts, we start those elders meetings uh, with a, one of the elders or deacons will have a devotion. And uh, I especially love the way Jeff teaches scripture. Uh, just a handful of times when he comes in and he's doing the devotional. He has a really, uh, Jeff, you have a very... Uh, a very humble way of, of uh, and it is. It's not a false humility. I've been doing this a long time. And I love the way he comes in and he opens the Bible and he's very transparent. And he was reading out of the Genesis account and uh, that that it's the fall. You know the story, Adam and Eve, they fall. They're disobedient. And uh, if you if you read that that first couple of chapters, you know, Eve, when did Eve get her name? See, up until Adam names her after the fall, he calls her, he called the woman Eve, and she would be the mother of all the living. Up until that time, up until that time in the scripture, she's just called the woman. The woman, the woman, the woman, the woman. The names in the Bible mean something. If you just want to have a great study, you can just look at the 12 uh, sons of, of uh, uh, Jacob and each one of those names. Every prophet's name had a meaning. But people didn't just name somebody because it was a family name or they thought, well, I like this name. In, in, in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, every prophet, every son, every daughter, the name had a spiritual meaning with something to do with that a relationship with God. And so, now Eve, after the fall, and they're cursed, and now Adam names her Eve, the mother of all living. And so we had a discussion about that. I don't know how much you've read the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Pentateuch, the first five books. But they're written by Moses. 
And in the writing, he does something every single, in all of his letters, he contrasts spiritual with carnal. Everything. Read the law. There, there's the spiritual and there's the carnal, the flesh. And so, after the curse, the living, that word in the Hebrew would mean carnal living. In other words, she would be the mother of everybody born by the flesh who who would mean that you were indeed born in sin. Just as David would write in the 51st Psalm. All the living, going back to Eve, born in the flesh, the living flesh, were born in sin. These are born sinners. Who we are. These born sinners. And, and then you contrast that to you and I being the New Testament church, if you read from the fall all the way to the resurrection, all the way to the resurrection, there's no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. There's none. There's evidence of the Spirit. There, the Spirit would come upon, or the Spirit would be in the midst of, but in, in the living soul of a man and a woman, there's no indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I always ask people this, when did, uh, when did the apostles receive the Holy Spirit? And they say in the day of Pentecost, it's not true, it's not in the Bible, it doesn't exist. There's a statement. But if you go to John chapter 20, when Christ was resurrected, He appeared to them. They were in the same house where they had taken the Lord's Supper. They're gathered together in fear. And Jesus reappeared. They had seen the Savior die. They had seen Jesus die. They knew He was buried. Now He reappears to them. They're in fear. And, and he says, peace. He's, he said, peace be on you. He reveals himself. But what does he do? He breathes into them the Holy Spirit. He said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. And he breathed the Holy Spirit. Now what happened on the day of Pentecost was the fulfillment of Scripture. There was this evidence of the Spirit descending from the heavens with it like tongues of fire. There was this evidence fulfilling Scripture. But these men had received the Holy Spirit. Christ had already, He breathed it into them. He breathed it into them. Now, going all the way back to the garden, because of the death, the burial, and the resurrection, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, men could have the Holy Spirit. We could have, we could receive the Holy Spirit. We're told the love of God in Romans chapter 5 has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Throughout the New Testament, we have been told, uh, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 19, that you and I have the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. When, when Peter finishes preaching on the day of Pentecost, it says, men of Israel, you be sure of this one thing, this Jesus of Nazareth, you killed him. And it said they were cut to their hearts. And they cried out, what must we do? And he said, repent, each and every one of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here's where we're at today. The difference between you and I and the unsaved is only one thing. And that is we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have. If God has called you, if God has saved you, you have Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the problem is this. That is true. And greater is he who is us in the world. But here's the problem. I do have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 
but I'm also in this flesh. And, and Paul would say about the Holy Spirit that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, he tells us, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Paul would write the Romans that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in groanings too deep for you to not understand. Jesus in the Gospel of John says, when you receive the Holy Spirit, He'll be your counselor, He'll guide you, He'll teach you, and He'll lead you. But church, here's the problem. That's what all these, these vice lists are about. When Paul said, I'm not, I listen, I don't know if you've watched this week, I don't know if you're paying attention. If you have children, you should, I don't, we shouldn't live in fear. The scripture is very clear. But you better have an alarm. You better, you better have eyes that are seeing and ears that are hearing. I saw stuff this week that just, I, I don't want to say shocked because if you read the Bible, we shouldn't be shocked. But it alerted me. It just alerted me. I had to watch and re-watch. There was a, a young man um, in Oregon. And he was addressing at some city council. He was a very strange looking guy. I uh, wasn't sure if it was hard to tell if, if he was male or female. Uh, it's, it's what's happening in our culture today. He was addressing the city council somewhere in Oregon. Said that uh, he was a graduate of the University of Oregon and he had a a degree in gender studies. And he went on this rant about the responsibility of the government to provide uh, gender training and gender transition and gender uh, medications. And, and uh, in fact, it said that uh, if we don't do this, it'll be the destruction of our democracy. That was just one. Now, I'm a Christian. Christians, the scripture very clearly says you're not to judge that man. We just read it. We shouldn't be shocked by it. You shouldn't be alarmed by it. But you ought to be alerted by it. Because we have a purpose. God gave you and I a purpose. And uh, we're in this world and darkness is evident. And if you think it's bad, I would challenge you. Because we always live in the now. And I've said this before. Read just the first 300 years of A.D. Just read it. Christians, the church was established on the day of Pentecost around 34 uh, B.C. or A.D. And then so from 34 A.D., all the way to, let's say, the 4th century. Christians living. If you can compare anything that's happening today with what was happening 1,700 years ago, you are misinformed. As ludicrous and as debauchery and as immoral as the world we live in now, and most of it, we just have instant, instant access. Just do the study. The Roman Empire was a it was a dark place. I mean, homosexuality was rampant. Well, was it? There wasn't there wasn't a right wing party, a conservative group in, in the Roman Empire that was saying these things are wrong. It was flagrant. And that's just one thing. 
And the church was born in that time. The church was established in that time. And the Christians didn't have a Bill of Rights or a United States Constitution or freedom to practice their religion. So as bad as you think things are, it, I, just read history. Challenge read history. Things are bad. They've always been bad. The one thing a preacher should never do according to God's Word is to stand in a pulpit and start bashing the homosexuals and uh, the LGBT. And if you think that you have a right to do that scripturally, you're wrong. You're just wrong. Scripturally, you're wrong. But you have every right as a preacher to address immorality in the body of Christ. You have every right. You shouldn't be shocked in the darkness of the world. Jesus came to the world as light to overcome the darkness. You ought to be alerted because you have children. And you have a responsibility with your children. Another challenge before we really begin to break this down. Each my, and it's not going to take a lot of time here. But of anybody that you think is bad. Of anybody that's causing you concern in your heart and your spirit today as you watch in Fox News or in any of the mainstream media or you just spend some time in the culture uh, can you name any of those people that God doesn't love that young man or I don't know if it was a man or woman and I don't mean that facetiously as he was addressing this uh, council I, I am 100% sure that Jesus Christ Loves and adores that you and me. Just as much as he would love and adore you and I. If that's not true, quit coming to church. If that's not true, quit taking the Lord's Supper. Now, he hates sin. He hates sin. In fact, he writes to the Ephesians that you're, you and I are even su supposed to expose the deeds that are done in darkness. Again, in light of the church. And you're supposed to raise your children in the admonition of the Lord. And so now as a preacher and a Christian, I have to, if I understand the gospel in its entirety, he hates sin, he paid the price for sin, and Jesus Christ became sin. So if Jesus Christ became sin, what sin? Well, it'd be all sin. You know, in the scripture... Church, we need to hear this. James says, if you sin, if you fail in one, just one, one letter of the law, one commandment, you have, you have failed in the entirety of the law. Maybe you could go down that list like the rich young ruler did or the guy in the temple and, and you could say, well, I've done this and I've done this and check A-A-L, I've got a D over here, but that's okay because I got, I got six A's and one D, so I'm pretty good. No, the scripture says if you, one, if you fail in one area, one thing, one thing in the law, and by the way, the law is spiritual and the law is good, but the law also condemns the flesh. So if you and I failed in one area of the law, we have failed in all. We, we've not kept any of the law. That doesn't seem fair. Well, it's biblical. But so how are you and I, as the body of Christ, being a light, sweet aroma, the manifold wisdom being made known through the church, how are you and I supposed to deal with sin? What is our personal responsibility? What should you be teaching your children? 
Now, I, I love what the perfection of the New Testament because it addresses every single moment of our life. There's a spiritual way to deal with something. There's a carnal way to deal with something. You know, somebody said this, and I don't know who he said. You know, one of the problems they have with the church is that we're, we're the only one that, that kills our wounded. Paul wrote the Galatians that we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. He wrote that if you have a brother that's caught in sin, you that are strong, you're supposed to deal gently with that person. But, but Paul also wrote, if there's somebody, and we just read it, if he's living in sin and it's just this sexual immorality and people were taking advantage of that because the attitude was, well, I've been saved by grace. I couldn't do anything to save myself, so I just keep on sinning. Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. And, and Paul says, man, never be. And then he has harsh language. He said, expel the wicked one from among you. Be gentle, but expel. There's not a contradiction there. You and I have a responsibility. Why? Because of our purpose. Because there are men that don't know that there are men. There are women that don't know that there are women. There is there's the, the fulfillment of Romans chapter 1 is that, you know, my lands, we're all going to be without an excuse. All of humanity will be it out because the manifold wisdom of God has been made known through the creation. And yet, what's happening? People are giving up the natural function of the flesh. A man lying with a man and a woman with a woman and, 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 and it's, it's, it's a defilement. It's a defilement. And, uh, and the scripture is very clear about who you and I are supposed to be, the world we're supposed to live in, how we're supposed to live in that world. But what has happened is the church many times doesn't look different than the world. We've misconstrued the gospel. We've used grace as a license to sin. We've watered down what the love of God is. If the love of God in the scripture we just read it said, because of these things, the wrath of God is going to be revealed. Homosexuality, theft, idolatry, murder, greed. There's the list. You can read them. But he also puts in their church slander. <coughs> now the term in the Corinthians was abusive language. You know what that meant? Abu you know what abusive language is? You might think that you're a victim of abusive language. If you look at the list, you know what it means? Gossip is abusive language. Repeating hearsay is an abusive language. Now he actually threw out, you know, you don't have to just put it under abuse. He talks about it. Slander. Who is happy when a Christian brings an accusation against another Christian, who's happy? Is God happy? No. Is your flesh happy? Yes. Is the spirit happy? No. Is Satan overjoyed? Absolutely. That's just one dynamic. But the reality of this church is this. We go out into the world. We're not of the world, but we're in the world. We're light, we're sweet aroma, we have a purpose. The manifold wisdom of God is now made known through the church. And we, here we are. And we go to the workplaces, and we look just 
like the world. We've adopted their philosophies in violation of Scripture. We've watered down sin. We don't expose the deeds that are done in darkness. You don't have to go on a crusade at your business place, but you better go on a crusade in your soul and in your heart and in your mind and yours. You ought to examine and I ought to examine myself. Where's Aubrey? Where's my filthy language? Where's my gossip? Where are my ears that are tickling to hear something that might not even be true from a so-called reputable person? And you could go on and on. You and I are supposed to be different. We're supposed to have a different attitude and approach to everything. And it was affecting the church at an early stage. And so many times, Paul had to write these letters because the church looked just like the world. And you and I have a personal responsibility to examine ourselves. Put it aside. Put it to death. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. Just look at the list. I don't have to go item by item and, and, and break that down for you. I'm a Christian in the world. I've seen the effects of sin. It's devastating. It's devastating. I listened to a great interview this week of a transgender woman. Well, she had gone through the whole process. Was indoctrinated into that lifestyle at age 12. She's 23 right now. She came out of it and she revealed and exposed really eloquently all the dynamics and of how it happened in her life. It's a powerful, powerful interview. I was moved by that. There is a battle going on for the souls of your children. Amen. There's a battle that is going on in the souls of your children. It's not any worse than it has ever been. If you think it is, you just don't know history. The, the, the one thing is, though, that there is more information. And there is more access to information. Amen. Sin is abounding. But the last thing the world needs from you and I is to, for you and I to look like the world. We, we don't need to go on some uh, rampage in the safety of a building. We need to go on a mission in the fulfillment as we leave this building and we go into the world and we start ministering to people that are having to deal with this darkness. I, I heard this wonderful statement and it was talking about sin and how there is pleasure in the sin and it's pleasure. But God will never allow you to find fulfillment in it. There'll be momentary pleasure, but it'll never find fulfillment. And what I have found true, whether it's the house of hope, whether it's in a prison unit, whether it's among the homeless people, there's going to be an end. Whatever the pursuit of sin takes you to, and ultimately it, it's leading you to a, to a grave with no hope of eternal, uh, 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 there's no hope of eternity in heaven, but whatever it's leading you, you to, you and I as the body of Christ are supposed to be the spokespeople of people uh, of God that goes into the world with an understanding of, of what grace is. And how grace has been given to us freely in our own life. And how sin will never lead to anything but the wrath of God and death and eternal death apart from God. And they're everywhere, people. They're everywhere. There are people that are coming to the end of whatever sin they pursued. They're, it's at the end. It's coming to an end. They're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. 
And the last thing they need to know or see or learn from you and I is something that does that resembles their life. We need to be a distinctly different looking, speaking, acting people. Not self-righteous. But a humble people that fully understand the devastation of sin and darkness. Fully understand. And 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 then to from a heart full of love be able to share with people. Oh my. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe God has brought us together. I believe there may be an opportunity here. I'm praying for an opportunity when I can share to you about the grace of God. That's who the church is supposed to be. And the burden that I sense and feel in my own heart is that and I see it right out of the pages of Scripture is that the church is becoming very much like the world. We don't understand what God has intended for us. Maybe we're not even looking. Maybe we're not even trying. Paul wrote the Thessalonians that there's going to be a time, I do believe we're living in this time, where people will become arrogant, lovers of money, lovers of self. Children will be disobedient to their parents. That time we're living in. The men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. Children will be arrogant and disobedient. And then you know what it says about God's people? They're going to. What are they going to do? They're going to gather for themselves teachers that will tickle their ears. And I believe uh, I believe we're living in those times. I believe we have taught grace in such a way that it's no grace at all. I believe that uh, we've avoided the truth about judgment. And judgment, where does it begin, church? The scripture says that judgment begins right here. Do you understand that? Judgment begins right here with the church first. We're going to be judged. And we'll have no excuse. And if the world has ever needed a people of light and sweet aroma and humility and grace, full of the love of God, understanding that we've been bought with a price, we should we ought to walk out of this building every Sunday, walk into our places of work, drive down the road with a with a heart that is empowered, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world, and be on fire to just wherever the Lord leads me. To go to the homeless and the sick and the imprisoned and the drug addict and the alcoholic as a broken man or woman who's just trying to carry some sense of their own strength. Maybe the family's falling apart or whatever it might be. You and I, we're not supposed to look like the world. We're supposed to put it aside. We're supposed to die to it. And... Uh, I'm going to challenge you to We're going to go through this whole process of personal responsibility. Paul's building to a point, and here's the point. This is his point. Twice he's going to say in these ensuing verses that whatever you do, Lord, indeed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Whatever you do in your life, do it as though you're working for the Lord. Do you know what that is? I'm a serious church. If you had to describe that to your children, Whatever you do in word and deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus. Could you describe that? Could you describe to the church 
Whatever you do, you do it as for the Lord. Could you could you describe that to your children? Because that's 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 the goal. And and if the church gets a very clear picture of what that is, I believe with all of my heart, I believe that is the church that God is building. I believe that that church, um, as God built it, will bring glory and light and sweet aroma to a dark, dying world. It is very passionate. Have you noticed that about? Have you noticed that about? I don't know what you want to call them—the left, the woke, the LGBT. Have you ever known? Have you ever noticed how passionate they are? And they're becoming more passionate, folks. You're only going to be able to ignore them for so long. These are passionate people. They believe they're fighting the cause, and they believe that cause is the right cause. But it's a cause that's going to lead to destruction. And you and I are supposed to be the people that. Whatever we're doing, in word and deed, we're supposed to be doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for letting us. And Father, thank you for giving us your word. and Thank you for sealing us with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that we don't grieve our Holy Spirit. I pray that as we live in, the, in our flesh, Father, that we understand that you have given us a greater power. I pray that we under, we, we're led to uh, understand your word in such a way that we can understand the kind of people you want us to be. That we can put to death whatever needs to be put to death in our life. We can put aside whatever needs to be put aside. Father, I praise you that we have, indeed, we have been bought with a price. And that price was the blood of your son. And so, Father, in the name of your son, we give you praise and honor. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.